Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that place, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negeb. All right, let's say that tomorrow morning, someone calls you bright and early. Your phone jangles beside your bed, you pick it up, and the voice on the other end tells you something like the following. You have two hours to pack one suitcase. Once your suitcase is packed, take a taxi to the airport, get on a plane. You won't be coming back. You can't take any of your family with you except your spouse if you have one. You'll never be back in Canada. And in your early morning, Monday morning stupor, you only think to ask, well, where should I fly to? And the voice says, fly to New York City. I'll tell you more once you get there. And perhaps you begin to splutter and protest and be like, what's going on? But all the voice on the other end of the line says, it will be worth it. I promise you, it'll be worth it. Now, how many of you would do that? <laughs> I suspect not many, like maybe even zero. You know, even if COVID weren't, you know, COVIDing, uh, I think most of us would, would hang up the phone. Like they, they have the wrong person. That's the wrong number. The call of Abram, later to become Abraham, it's not a lot less revolutionary than the scenario I just laid out. God asks him to do something extraordinary. Now, God isn't the exact same thing as an anonymous voice on the other end of a phone line, but it is someone that Abram can't see. And this is what kicks off, really, the biblical description of Abram's life. It's a life of extraordinary faith, yet also at the same time, a life that feels pretty recognizable. In Romans 4, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul calls Abram, or Abraham there, the father of everyone who believes. The father of everyone who believes. And that means there's something in these stories for us. There's something here that's going to tell us what the life of faith looks like. Abram is going to be the first person really in the scriptures who believes in a way that's kind of recognizable to all of us who come later. But as I mentioned in my, my brief introduction before the reading, it's not just Abram we see. We also see the character of God. He's the backdrop to the story. He's working, he's calling, he's inviting, he's protecting. I think this series is going to be helpful to you if you're investigating faith. 
if you're in the category of you don't believe or you're just starting to believe, um, I, I think this will be really helpful because it gives a great picture of what a life of faith looks like. But I think it's also going to be helpful to you if, you're, if you've been believing a long time. It's like, well, I've been believing for 60 years or something. I think it'll be a fresh encouragement to you because it's a picture of what faith looks like in difficult times. We're going through some difficult times. Abram has tremendous faith and there's all sorts of trials and failures. There's things that go on. I think it'll be useful to all of us. So today I want to take our text in four sections. Part one, I want to call the cost of the call. Part two, the blessings of the call. Part three, obedience to the call. And part four, opposition and encouragement in the call. Now, I think even if you're not a church person, you probably know Abraham's name. He's, he's pretty famous in terms of Bible characters, and he's well-known and well-regarded by, by Jews, Muslims, Christians. You know, we're, all, we're actually all known in some circles as Abrahamic religions. We all trace our, our, our roots back to him. But because we're not in chapter one of Genesis, we, we must be realized we're entering the middle of a story. Abram enters the middle of a story. And so the story so far, if I can just recap it briefly, God creates the world in peace, in unity, in wonder, in perfection. He walks with Adam and Eve. Uh, he knew them and loved them. They loved him. They sinned against God. They believed the lie of the serpent. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And if you read it, Genesis 3 through 11, from the expulsion from the garden to up, up right until Abram, it's basically a continuous story, a uh, sad story of sin and judgment and God's curse. We have the first murder, the first separation of a family, a flood that nearly destroys all the inhabitants of the earth. And then right before chapter 12 and chapter 11, there's the Tower of Babel, which is people are gathering to make a name for themselves and God scatters them for their pride. Basically, a thousand years pass according to the genealogy in chapter 11. A thousand years pass between chapter 3 and chapter 11 of Genesis, and humanity is just in rough shape. <laughs> things, are, things are not going well. But right at the end of chapter 11, a man named Terah has a son that he calls Abram. And it says, Abraham grows up, he takes a wife, her name is Sarai. Abram and Sarai were unable to have children, it says. And Terah, Abram, Sarai, they had been living in the city called Ur, which was close to Babylon, but they began migrating away. They moved to this place called Haran. Uh, basically, if, if this helps at all, they were kind of in modern-day Iraq near, near the Persian Gulf, and they moved northwest into to sort of northern Syria, up and around the Arabian Desert, if those are helpful geographic directions. But anyways, they settled on this place called Haran, and that's where Abram's father, Terah, dies, and that's where our text picks up. But interestingly, a millennium passes over nine chapters, and then the text sort of slows down, and over the next, in the next 25 years of time, take 10 more chapters. The author kind of slows down time in the book of Genesis because he's signaling something important is happening. God is changing the way he's interacting with humanity. He's about to choose one man, one family, to change, basically to change the world, to bless the world through them. And so anyways, that's a lot of pre precursor, but look at verse one. God speaks to Abraham and says, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you. It doesn't seem like God has shown up here. He just speaks to him and tells him to go. Now to go in Hebrew isn't just sort of like go a little bit. It means to determinedly disassociate with, not kind of easing away for something. It's making a decisive break like breaking up with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Just, it's over. We're not going back. We're, we're never getting back together. You know, the door isn't ajar. The window is not cracked. It's just over. But of course, it's more than just going. God tells Abram to leave his country, to leave his kindred and his father's house. Now, remember our telephone call in the beginning? 
that you're being asked to leave Canada and your house and your family and the protection of all the people you know. Except that the journey in Abram's case is very likely in one direction. There's no return flight. Abram is being asked to give up the normal sources of identity and security in the time in which he lived. Everything that tells him who he is as a person will be wiped away and he will start over. Abram is being asked to give up the normal sources of identity and security in the time in which he lived. Basically, God's saying everything that tells you who you are as a person is going to be wiped away and start over. Now, I know some of you, you are transplants from different countries, and you know something of what this would have been like. Um, you have gone or you are in the process of going and living in a different country for the rest of your life, to, to leave all that's known, all that's comfortable for something unknown and uncomfortable. Remember, if you look at verse 4, Abram was 75 years old. <laughs> he's, he's, no, he's like no spring chicken. He's married, he's rich, and he's well settled. This is not like, well, let's ask a teenager. He's going to go you know, work on the BC ski slopes for a few years after high school. That's not the kind of move we're talking about. This is a huge shift for an older, established person. And here's my point. The life of faith often begins, or almost always begins, in discomfort. Because God asks the same of each of us. Like Abram, he asks us to leave all of the things that tell us who we are. All the places we get identity, all the places we get security, all the things that kind of prop us up. Faith begins when you trust God alone and not anything else. Now, I know for some of you, you could care less about what country you live in. You're like, I could be happy in Scotland. I could be happy in Nigeria. Like, I I could be happy anywhere. I don't care about the country. And maybe some of you don't care that much about being close to family. Maybe your family isn't that tight, or maybe you don't have very much family. But something tells you who you are. Is it your vocation? Do you feel successful because of of what you do? Is it your identity, your sexual identity? Is it a general feeling of success? Or maybe maybe like Abram, it is your home, or it is your family, or it is your country. Where do you get your identity from? And if you're like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, one way to get at this answer is to ask, well, what's your greatest nightmare? What, what do you fear the most? Is it to be unloved? Do you, feel, do you fear being a failure? Do you just not want to be poor? For all of us, I think there's an aspect of life on this planet to which we cling very tightly because we believe, even maybe subconsciously, we believe this is what makes me, me. If I, if I don't have this, then what am I? But the invitation God gives to Abram, it's the same to each of us. He says, if you want to live a life of faith, go. Go. Determinedly leave that behind. Put all your trust in me. Don't hedge. Don't look back. And we often make faith out to be very logical. And I think there's, there is logic to, to belief in God. But trusting God with your life, the way Abram does, I hope you see what kind of a big leap that is. I don't think believing in Jesus is like believing in neutrons. I think I can believe in like a molecular structure of the universe without changing my life that much. Maybe a physicist would tell me, you know, why I can't do that. But but believing in Jesus, it, it means going all in on trust in God. That God will tell Abram who he is from now on. And notice, where's Abram going? On the crazy journey of faith? Where is he headed? He doesn't know. (laughs) God won't tell him. To the land I will show you, which means I'm not going to show you yet. You need to start walking first. So not only is God asking him to leave behind all that tells him who he is, Abram doesn't even know where he is heading. 
in high school, uh, I took an electronics class. So you can make of that what you will. But uh, we, we had to make a simple circuit board, uh, you know, like with soldering and all that kind of stuff. And basically it had all these lights on, these little LED lights, and, and it was connected to this uh, simple remote control that you could turn on the different lights with, your, with the simple remote control. Then we took our circuit board and put it in like these big masks. And then with a partner, you had to walk through an obstacle course being guided by the remote controlled circuit board. So if like you, when you had the mask on, you know, right light means step right or left light means step right, whatever. You kind of made up a system that you would follow. And, and the part, your partner would activate the lights to guide you along the way. Now being the person in the mask was frankly a terrible experience. <laughs> you, you can't see anything. You're, you're constantly worried about banging your shin. You're running into walls. People are laughing at you. It wasn't, you know, high school was so wonderful, wasn't it? Um, but it was, it was sort of this experience. Listen, Abram is being asked by God to put on the mask. You're not going to know where you're going. You're not going to know where the path is lead. You're not going to know the obstacles that are in front of you. People might laugh at you, but just take a step and wait for the next signal. The life of faith, it involves a level of trust and commitment to God on this profound level and nothing less. All of us understand at least somewhat what Abram is being called to because it is the same sorts of things we are being called to. That's the cost of the call. Secondly, the blessings of the call. If Abram goes, sorry, I'm having trouble with my papers here. Things are blowing away. Uh, if Abram goes, if he steps into the life of faith, what does God promise him? What does he promise him? Well, I think we can lump these blessings into three categories. The first is God promises personal blessing. God says, I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And I want to talk about that second part of that sentence, second half of that sentence for a moment. God says, if you obey, if you trust me, if you go, I'm going to bless you. Now, blessing in the book of Genesis, in the Bible generally, refers to divine favor. So long before, you know, social media hashtag, and then it became an ironic social media hashtag. Uh, it, what, what blessing meant was that God is going to act with kindness towards a person. It does not mean, listen carefully, it does not mean that a person will be protected from every danger or that everything will go well with their life. But in general, a person experiences the favor of God, uh, spiritual enrichment, and even sometimes physical enrichment. And this is what God promises. I'll be kind towards you. And look, as we'll see, Abram is still going to experience infertility, famine. He's going to flee from his home. Enemies will attack him. There'll be household fights and disagreements. All that still happens. But God will work in and through these things to love him. This divine favor extends to humans' interactions with Abraham. Do you see that? God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God doesn't just stop it at, at, at divine blessings, but extends to human relationships as well. And then God also promises, I'm going to make your name great. And greatness here kind of refers to significance. As Abram takes this great step of faith, God promises it'll have reverberating effects. People will come to know him. And you know what happens? This happens thousands of years later. We're still talking about him. We all still know him. His name did, in fact, become great. Now, this probably won't be true of most of us, but God fulfilled his promise to Abram. So he promises personal blessing, but secondly, he promises generational blessing. God says it's going to be more than just like a one-hit wonder. The blessing and favor of God will extend to all the generations that follow. In, in verse 2, God promises to make of him a great nation. And greatness, again, refers to both size and significance. The nation that comes from Abram will, will be great. It will be numerous. And, of course, the Jews, the people of God, they were. They've lasted through all the ages. They are as numerous now, if you add up all the generations, as the stars in the sky. And, of course, with the coming of Jesus, played a central role in the history of the world. There's generational blessing. 
And third, God promises to mediate blessing from Abram to the world. This is mentioned a couple different times, but at the end of verse two, God says he will make Abram's name great so he can be a blessing. And then in verse three, God says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Families, that's kind of a generic word there, but it means tribes and people groups and languages and cultures, all that stuff. The favor of God, the kindness of God, remember, it'll be mediated. It'll pass through Abram and his line uh, to the world. To all the families that are currently on the outside, that are kind of cursed by God, families that are not part of God's chosen people will become so because of Abram's line. So God promises this personal, generational, and worldwide blessing. Now remember, let's consider where Abram was when he got this promise. He was rich, yes, prosperous, sure. But he had no children. He had a wife that they, could, they couldn't conceive. He's being asked to move to a foreign land where he had no standing and no protection, in the distant past was, was the remembrance of the Tower of Babel where people had tried to make their name great and they'd failed. These promises, I think, must have seemed outlandish to Abram. And we kind of take for granted that, well, of course, what well, Abram knew God, didn't he? But how well did he know him? The Bible doesn't say. Had God spoken to him before? How much should Abram have to go on? I think it's easy to sit on the far side of these promises and to think, well, of course it was worth it. It all worked out. Abraham became the ancestor of kings. There was a nation. Jesus came. It, it worked out well. He had a kid. He, he lived to be an old man. But I don't think it's ever that simple in the short term. A life of faith with promised blessings, it isn't as clear as it appears here. And I'm not so sure this was an easy decision to make. God still makes promises to those who believe. You should know that. They aren't the same promises as Abram gets. I mean, there may be a nation that comes from you and your family, but that's not promised to any of us. You don't automatically get to have everyone gets their own nation or something. But here is what God promises to those who still hear his call. He promises his love and faithfulness to those who believe. He promises he will show his love to the children and grandchildren of those who believe. He still promises to extend his kindness to the families of the world through the people that love him. So listen, God still blesses people and he's still blessing the world through his people. That's true. And remember, just because you get God's kindness, his favor, doesn't mean you get to avoid famines, <laughs> infertility, enemies. You still might get these things. That's part of life on earth. But it simply means that God will show you spiritual favor. He'll, show, he'll save you from your sins. He'll guarantee eternal life with him. The call has benefits, <laughs> but it all comes down to who you believe God to be. Is God the kind of God who follows through on his promises or not? Okay, part three, obedience to the call. These last two will be shorter. We don't know how much internal wrestling took place. We don't know how, how much angst Abram felt or didn't feel. All we know is what verse four tells us, that he went. At 75 years old, basically, I think older than every single person here. Oh, at 75 years old, he packed up his nephew, Lot. He packed up his wife, Sarai, all his possessions, all his employees and servants. They had like this big household retinue. Um, and, and they went. They moved from, remember, from northern Syria, southwest, into the land of Canaan. And it's interesting, you can't really see it in English, but in Hebrew, verse 4 uses that same root word to describe God's command and Abram's response. If you kind of are more literal, God said, leave, and Abram left. Or God said, go, and Abraham, goad. <laughs> you know, like he, he did the exact thing that God wanted him to do. The obedience is complete. There was no half measures, no equivocation, just obedience. And actually, if you read Hebrews 11, which retells the story of Abram, in just a couple of verses, it says, Abram gladly became an exile because he was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. He obeyed in faith, remember? 
He didn't know where he was going. He put on the mask. He waited for the lights to blink. Faith in God demands action. Demands a moment in time when you make a decisive break and decide for yourselves who we, you know, if you will believe, if you will trust. Now, if we are being honest, you don't just have one moment like this, but, but many. But, the, but I, might, I do want to emphasize that there, there will be a first moment. In fact, the New Testament regularly encourages us to make a confession of Jesus out loud. Paul's, Paul writes, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Basically, faith, of course, is something you have in your heart. But it's also something that comes out of your mouth. It comes, it comes out of your hands with concrete action. Now, most of us, you're probably not going to be called to leave Ottawa for a different city. Eh, but, but you might. For most of us, though, I think there'll be other commands in the scriptures where God clearly says, do this or don't do that. And, it, and it'll be hard, but you'll have to choose if you're going to obey. For instance, I'll give you a couple examples. For instance, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When that, when that actually happens, when you actually have enemies, will you obey that command in faith, even if it feels like, well, I'm letting them off the hook. I'm letting them get away with something. Or how about this one? Do everything without arguing or complaining. <laughs> Can you obey that command on faith, even on Twitter? Can, you know, you're trusting that God is in control, that, that he will take care of you. Or how about this one? Honor your father and mother. Can you obey that command in faith? Honoring your parents, even if you disagree with them even if they've sinned grievously against you. And here's kind of my point. You can say, and we, maybe we all say, I believe in God. But Abram shows us a life of faith is characterized by obedience. That when God says go, you go. And when God says stop, you stop. Abram listened to God and he went. Now part four, opposition and encouragement in the call. So Abram heads off with his wife, his nephew, all their stuff. They make it to the land of Canaan. And if you look at verse 6, it says he passes through the land. So he kind of hits the border of Canaan and starts walking through it. To the, to, gets to Shechem and to the Oak of Morah. And it says at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now Shechem was actually one of the, the major Canaanite cities, one of the most important cities in their nation. And then near Shechem is this tree, a large oak. Now you're wondering like, why are we, why are we talking about this? Why is this important? Well, large trees, like oaks, were traditional sites of pagan worship. Their, their, their great height, uh, you know, in, in pagan worship, basically made a supposed connection between the heavens above and the earth beneath. Actually, later on, when you read about Israel's history, they get into trouble with Canaanite worship. They start building altars and worship these worship poles under spreading trees. And of course, oaks, as we well know in Canada, they're huge. They, they, they spread. They're, they're these giant trees. And additionally, that, that word mora there, when it says the oak of mora, it means teacher. And it's pretty likely, actually, that pagans went to this tree to get oracles, uh, to, to, to sort of hear from the gods. So basically, just try to get in Abram's head. He's busy obeying God. He takes his great step of faith. He goes to a new place, and he finally arrives, and he finds it filled with people of other religions who are worshiping other gods. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, this is the place? Imagine how discouraging or disorienting that would be. It's not easy to believe in the first place, but then he gets to Canaan and it's filled with Canaanites. <laughs> but look what happens. God meets him at that tree. Verse seven, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. And if we can paraphrase God, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. This is the spot. See, Abraham hears the call. He obeys the call. He goes on a week long journey. And when he arrives, God encourages him. You're on the right track. He reiterates his promise and God's faithful to them. 
This is the place where you're going to settle. This is the place where you're going to have your offspring, which, by the way, you still don't have. And Abram responds in the middle of eight, you see there, he pitches his tent nearby. He builds an altar to God. He begins calling on the name of the Lord. Abram believes God. He worships him. He trusts him. There may be large cities of Canaanites nearby, but he trusts that God has a plan. And even included that plan is the fact that God will bless the people of Canaan through Abram both opposition and encouragement in the journey of faith. Okay, let's conclude with this. So far we've seen a man who hears the difficult call of God to leave all he has known. He moves to a far country so the blessing of God can be poured out far and wide. Um, This provokes us to consider our own journey of faith, to see if we too are the kind of people who leave behind old identities to follow God into the new world that he will show us. Abram was a man of great faith, of course, but it wouldn't last. And so we don't just look to Abram. If you leave this sermon wondering or thinking, how can I be more like Abram? You've kind of missed the point. See, we need to look beyond Abram to his great, great, I mean, many, many, many greats, grandson, Jesus Christ. Because just as Abram left all he knew for a land full of opposition, so Jesus left the Father's right hand where he'd been seated in glory and honor where he had everything for the far country of earth. And he went because he knew that his obedience would bring the blessing of God to many. Now, unlike Abraham, he knew his name would not be made great, at least initially, but that he would be humiliated. He went knowing that there wasn't going to be any physical heirs. There would be no family, no name, but he went all the same. And what happened in the end, of course, is that Philippians tells us God gave him a name, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God gave him a name greater than every other name. And because of, the, because of Jesus, now all the families of the earth have the chance to be blessed. And friends, it's the story of Jesus, I think, that gives us the answer to the most troubling question that this text doesn't answer. And the, my question was this, how did Abram trust? How did he get to the place where he could believe God and do all the things that he did? I don't know. <laughs> the, the text doesn't tell us how Abram got there, but I can tell you how we get there. Because we've seen God go first. We've seen Jesus go first, that Jesus left, Jesus believed, and Jesus died for the many. So when our faith is weak or non-existent, when we bump up against a really hard command, when we're called to make a difficult choice, or when we arrive in a land full of enemies, we look at Jesus. He's the author of our faith. He's the firstborn. He went first, not only to open the door of faith, um, but also to empower us by his spirit on our own journeys as well. So our great hope today and what I would leave you with is that God would make us not just more like Abram, but more like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this story, this text. May you use it to encourage our hearts, but may you help us to see see what you're doing here, what you continue to do to call your people to follow you, uh, to help us walk with you in faith. Uh, Would you reveal yourself to us this morning? In Christ's name, amen.